Well, hey there, this is Keith. Listen, before we start the episode today, I just wanted to take a moment and speak directly to anyone who might be listening who's still in the closet. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that's perfectly okay. Do what is best for you when it is best. Never let anyone else pressure you in this decision. But let's say that you are thinking about coming out, or there's a part of you that really does want to come out, but you want to do so very carefully, very slowly, very strategically, and even very selectively. Well, if that's you, my friend, I've got you covered. I want you to go to the show notes and use a link there to check out my Selective Outage Method digital course. I think you're going to be surprised, and I believe it'll help you as you plan your coming out. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Keith. I'm Keith Brown, the bisexual specialist. And my main mission in life is to help my bisexual family create the life they desire and deserve and construct authentic and affirming faith if they want. But listen, this podcast is for the entire queer community. So you are welcome here, my friend, I promise. On Mondays, it's Bi Talks, where I answer questions and talk about all things related to bisexuality. On Wednesdays, it's Table Talks. This is where I either do a solo episode or invite wonderful guests into the podcast to talk about all things related to the queer community, especially as it deals with Christianity. And then on Fridays, it's Bible Talks, where it's just me sharing some devotion and application from Scripture. So, I invite you to grab that coffee, have a seat at my table, and let's chat on this episode of Coffee with Keith. Hello and welcome to Coffee with Keith. So glad you could join me. I am Keith Brown and I am your host for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I really do appreciate you taking me with you wherever you're going and listening to this podcast. Today is a Table Talks episode and a lot of times on Table Talks, I'll invite a wonderful guest into the podcast to share their story and give us some insight about what they think and how they relate to being queer and oftentimes in reference to the Christian faith. Today, I just wanted to do a solo episode, if I may. So thank you for joining me. And today, we're going to talk a a little bit about theology. I'm not going to go real deep into this. I want to simply touch on the Lord's Supper. This is one of my favorite topics when it comes to theology. In fact, it's one of the things that changed me when I did my master's studies um, in uh, biblical studies and theology, etc., my divinity divin- divinity studies, um, it was the Lord's table that sort of brought me from where I was to where I am and, and all the things related to it. And you may call it by any number of names. If you're Catholic, you will most often refer to your service as Mass. If you are Episcopalian or Anglican, for instance, you will probably use Eucharist, which comes from the Greek. It just simply means Thanksgiving. You may call Call it Lord's Table, Lord's Supper, you know, what, whatever the case may be. Um, we're all referring to the celebration of the cup and the bread in communion. Well, first of all, let me answer one question that you're probably wondering. Keith, why is this such a big deal? Well, I believe that if you are queer and Christian, and I think that most of you are who are listening to this podcast, I know I get some allies, and you're welcome to be here. Thank you for, for being here, and thank you for supporting this podcast. 
But most of you I know are queer, and many of you, if not most, are also Christian, or at least have come from a Christian faith, and maybe even still struggling with how that looks or how that works out in your life. And and I get all that. So in my mind and in my heart and in my belief, the, the table is still significant for Christians. Why? Because one of the things, or excuse me, for queer Christians, and one of the reasons for that is because there are so many queer Christians who are still suffering church trauma. They are still exercising those demons, if you will, from the um, abuse that they have received in growing up within most often conservative evangelical churches. So it is that same table, that table that we go to to receive, that I think can be a healing process for us, regardless of what view you hold when it comes to the table. So today, I simply want to go in sort of a broad stroke, the four most prevalent historical views when it comes to the Lord's table, okay? So I'm going to give you all four. If you want to dive deeper into this, I would encourage you um, to check out the Theology 101 digital course that I have. That course goes into this much deeper, as well as some other aspects of theology. And it's truly a guide. Uh, the course is a guide work for sort of deconstructing and constructing your faith in around some, some significant pillars when it comes to faith and theology. So check that out. It's called Theology 101. It is available at my website, and of course, there's always a uh, link to my website in the show notes. Okay, so today, let's talk about the four basic theological views on Lord's Table. I'll begin with probably the most historic, the oldest, and that is one that we get and drives the Roman Catholic tradition, and that is transubstantiation. Transubstantiation, kind of a big word. It just means to change. And basically, this theology, in a nutshell, means that when a priest blesses the cup and the wine, they then transform into the actual body and blood of Jesus. So there is a physical transformation, transubstantiation, right? And so if you are Roman Catholic, for instance, there is a great healing. There is a great faith about receiving the elements because in that theology and in that faith, you are actually receiving the physical body and blood of Christ. Now, that might sound a little gross in some ways, but in, in the heart and mind and belief of a true Catholic, that is a beautiful experience. And if you are a queer Christian and Roman Catholic and you go to receive this, I believe in in this in this view of the table that you are receiving a blessing that can help you in your healing. So I think if you're Roman Catholic, you should not avoid the table. I think it can be a healing thing for you. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the the next one that that is um, very historical. That is consubstantiation, and sometimes they can become a little bit difficult to say, but. The Catholic is transubstantiation. Consubstantiation is basically the idea of with. There was a guy named Martin Luther that came along, and you might have heard the name if you're around Christian circles, because truly he's credited with, through his 95 thesis on the Cathedral Door at Wittenberg, he's credited with sort of the start of the Reformation, separating oneself from the Catholic faith because there was a belief that we needed to be more focused on the Bible as our inspiration and authority rather than the church. So Martin Luther had this idea of consubstantiation. He did not believe that the cup and the bread, the, the, the wine and the bread, 
physically changed into the actual body and blood of Christ, he believed that there was a with factor at work here. So what does that mean? He believes that once the bread and the cup was blessed by a priest, then Jesus spiritually came to reside inside of the elements. That doesn't mean they change into the body and blood of Jesus. It just simply means they take on the additional presence spiritual presence of Jesus in the elements. So there still is a very high respect and regard for the elements. That's why you see such care in, you know, let's go back to the the, uh, the Catholic Church. That's why you see such care and such devotion to the elements. Same thing in Episcopal and Anglican churches there, and, and some Lutheran churches. There's great care to the elements because there is the belief that they have taken on, once they are blessed by a priest or, in Lutheran cases, a pastor, they are blessed, they take on an extra presence of Jesus. So if you are a person who is Anglican or Episcopal or um, Lutheran, and you believe that by receiving those elements, you are actually consuming an extra presence, spiritually speaking, of Jesus, then can you not see the healing aspect? that could be available through that, okay? So if you're a queer Christian and you are any of those and and you still hold to this consubstantiation view, then you can see the beauty of receiving these elements, right? It would help you in your healing. All right, so that's the first two. What is the third? It is called the Reformed view. There was another reformer that came along, and many people have heard the name John Calvin. That's where we get the idea of Calvinism and the five points of Calvinism, Tulip, for instance. Calvin was a strong teacher, a strong theologian who gave us many aspects of what became, in many circles, a, a evangelical faith, actually. And for the Episcopal, I mean, sorry, for the uh, Calvinists, these are people primarily that have sort of an umbrella of Presbyterianism to them. That's sort of where Presbyterians come from is John Calvin. So this type of belief would say, no, John Calvin couldn't go along with Martin Luther on the fact that there was a spiritual presence within the elements. That was a little bit far for him. So what he says was, you know what? I believe that there is a presence of God in the celebration. There is a there's a presence of Christ at the table. He doesn't go into the elements. The elements don't become something supernatural, for instance, but there is something supernatural that occurs at the table. And that is namely that Jesus shows up in a very unique and powerful presence. So, if you are queer and you were raised in the Presbyterian Church, for instance, or you are a um, Reformed person, part of a Reformed Church, or a person who you know is part of a non-denominational but heavy, heavy Calvinistic slants, then you would probably, most likely, historically, been raised in this thinking that there was something very special about the communion and that Christ was present, but the elements did not take on His presence. So, if that is you and you are a queer Christian and you still hold to that belief, then you could also see that by going to this celebration, which by the way, still, like the other two, has to be done by ordained person representing the church, then there would be a healing that would take place in the mere belief that Jesus is there in a unique and special way. You are in fellowship with not only other believers, but you are in fellowship with Christ in a very special way. So there is healing, there is connection with Christ that could come through a Calvinistic 
approach to the Lord's table, right? All right, so what is the fourth? Well, for a lot of you, that's going to be the tradition that you come from. I talk to a lot of people, and I know there's a lot of listeners to this podcast that are Baptist in their past, or they're charismatic in their past, or they're non-denominationalist in their past, or they're independent Baptist in their past, whatever the case may be. But these are considered, and this is not derogatory, low church um, theology churches. That simply means they don't have a lot of fancy um, liturgy, etc., in their worship, and they believe basically in trying to get close to the Bible as they can and not bring in a lot of tradition and history and church um, position into the argument, but rather letting the Bible argue for it. So these are called low church traditions, and one of the most famous framers of this was a guy named Zwingli, and Zwingli was part of a group, and um, it gave birth to this uh, Anabaptist group, which means twice Baptist. It's not anti-Baptist, it's Anabaptist, meaning twice baptized. People believed that they should you know, be baptized again when they believed, even though they were baptized as a child. So they were twice baptized, and that's where it started. Now, in this group, how does it relate to the Lord's table? Well, this group is a group who believes that there is no supernatural occurrence that happens at the table. What's more, for most of these Christians, they believe that any person who is a Christian who has faith in Christ can celebrate the table. In other words, you could do it in your home. You could do it with you and your friends. It doesn't have to be done by an ordained person. Now, we will often see it, you know, obviously when the church is doing it by the pastor or an ordained person, that's pretty common, but it doesn't have to be because what it is is nothing in their theology supernatural. What it is is memorial. This is the last view. It is the memorial view of the Lord's table, meaning that all we are doing in this theology is reenacting and rethinking and reflecting and memorializing what Jesus did with his disciples on that day. We are thinking about what he did. He celebrated the communion. We celebrate it, if you're a memorialist, thinking, okay, this is what Jesus did. He told us to do this. That means that we are to reenact it and memorialize it because it is a testimony to what Jesus did for us and our future salvation. Okay? So for a person who is a memorialist, they might say, well, you know, is it a big deal? Well, <laughs> Maybe, maybe not, but I think that any time that you even reflect on what this table means, if you just memorialize it in whatever fashion you choose, then you are reflecting on what Jesus did out of his great love and mercy for you. And therefore, there is a healing aspect to it because you are brought to an attitude of gratitude to what Jesus was willing to do on the cross and through the burial and through the resurrection for you. So if you were a person who was raised, for instance, in a Southern Baptist church, you probably were raised with a memorial view. Not probably, you were. That's pretty much typical for Southern Baptists. So you may still hold that view, or you may not. But if you do, then you could say, well, you know, I want to celebrate this because by remembering and celebrating this table, it helps me reflect on Jesus and what he did for me. And it helps give me an attitude of gratitude. All right? So... 
<laughs> I did that really quickly. I promise you in the digital course, we delve a little bit deeper. I tell you a little bit more about the nuances of all these and, and I go into a little bit more historical aspect and I lay them all out for you so that you can best determine what you believe and what you choose to hold as your faith. So again, check out that course. It's called Theology 101, Deconstructing and Constructing Your Authentic Affirming Faith. And I'd love to, for you to get a copy of that digital course. It's very inexpensive actually, but it, I feel like it's going to really help you it's available in video audio and their notes um, so it's you know i think it's a pretty good deal for you and it will help you in your process some people say okay keith now you gave us the four views um let let let's spill the tea what is your view all right i'm going to tell you i am an ordained anglican priest in the worldwide anglican tradition i have to be careful because there is a a anglican church here in america that's a very ultra conservative evangelical branch of the of the communion so i want to be distinctive here that that is not me i am part of the um more wide communion of anglicanism and therefore um i am more uh, affirming okay so let me just get that out of there but having said all that i am a consubstantiationist i believe that there is a special presence of god a presence of christ himself that comes to dwell in the elements once they are blessed by a priest at the table so that is my personal belief. I did not have that belief when I went into seminary, for instance, again, for a master's program. I went in as a Baptist. I was an ordained Baptist minister when I went into seminary. But through my study and through my, my time there and through my digging deep and, and, and worship and, and liturgy and theology around the table, etc., I began to shift my thinking. So for me, that was what happened. So it just goes to show that what you were doesn't mean that's what you will always be. And I think that's beauty. one of the beauties of the deconstruction process. You get to examine all the aspects, and then you get to choose what truly works for you, what you feel in your gut is right when it comes to these things of faith. So that's what I encourage you to do. And I think that's healthy. Some pastors think that's harmful, but I don't. I think it will help you grow. I think it's important for you to get there because that gives you your authentic faith. You're not owning what someone else gave you. you get, you're, you're taking on what you have decided for yourself. So in that way, I think it's pretty helpful. All right. Those are the four views. Um, again, if you want more information, get the course, but hopefully that'll help you. If you, you know, have a question specifically, reach out to me. I'll do my best to answer for you. Okay. Uh, until next time, remember, heal those hurts, move those mountains, and may God truly bless you. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, my friend, this episode of Coffee with Keith. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. Now, please stick around. One more announcement I want to give you. God bless you. See you next time.